Perhaps we could uh, go ahead and get started since it's already getting a little bit late, so we can uh, get some of this uh, in today. Good to be with you today. Uh, could we begin with a word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank and praise you for all your good gifts, especially for the gift of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you for your Holy Spirit at work among us, and we pray that your Spirit would bless us as we study your word today, help us to grow in our faith toward you, and also in our love toward one another. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I uh, thought we might take a look at uh, Feast of St. Barnabas, uh, Apostle Barnabas, uh, that feast in the there's a list of feasts and festivals in the front part of your hymnal that uh, uh, has those for you. And June 11th happens to be Barnabas's day, but he usually gets uh, topped by Festival of the Holy Trinity or Pentecost or other things. So we don't notice poor old Barnabas too much. So thought we might do him in Bible class here today and might just introduce things today. And since it's a little bit further on and do the rest of it next week, so hold on to your handout or leave them here and we'll pick them up and go at it a little bit more next week. Or not, not, I won't be back next week. It'll be two weeks from now. I'm going to be in Iowa next week for Father's Day with my son, I guess. So two weeks from now. Um, some, some people uh, inquired uh, where I was and what I was doing during the summer of love, 1967. Uh, actually, nobody inquired, but... Uh, but uh, I'll tell you anyway, uh, I'll tell you anyway. Uh, <laughs> I was 20, I was 20, and uh, Barb was 18 during the summer of love, but, but I'd never seen her at that point, didn't know her at all. And uh, I was actually home from school working in my dad's chicken hatchery, and my first job every morning was to... Uh, scoop out all the chicken poop from all of the pens and cages, which uh, has a way of cooling one's passions, you know, somewhat, <laughs> even, even during the summer of love, you know. So that's where I was during the summer of love. We'll let you tell your story later if you're, if you're old enough. I mean, you're, you're not old enough for that stuff. But um, Feast of Barnabas, uh, June 11th, uh, might, might just say a word about the saints. First of all, uh, Lutherans have always, uh, I guess, rejoiced in the saints, yet also struggled with just how, how we deal with the saints, uh, because that was a big issue at the time of the Reformation. I'll come back to that in just a moment. The cult of the saints in the Middle Ages had gotten way out of hand, and we know that. You know, there were bones of St. Peter here and fingernails of St. Paul there and you could go around and venerate the relics of the saints and you could get uh, remission from sins and reduced time in purgatory and all of that kind of thing and uh, a lot of prayers to saints had been added to the order of the mass so that it extended that quite a bit and uh, Luther of course and the reformers dropped that from the mass so that was, that was interesting that was important. Uh, Biblically, first of all, a saint is literally a holy one, that is one who is separated by God, by God's grace from the rest of the world, and consecrated to God, totally by grace, and then through our faith in that grace which he gives us. So that's what a saint is 
broadly speaking, so that all of us are saints here in the church militant, still here on earth, still fighting the battle with sin, death, and Satan. And there are also those saints who are already in the church triumphant, all who have gone before us. They, we think of them too. Somewhat narrowly speaking, we also think of saints in terms of those who have had special recognition in the church, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, those leaders who are recognized, teachers, pastors, others who are recognized uh, as examples or whatever in the history of the church, and that can actually be a good thing, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. So we have those lists of saints. You actually have that already to a certain extent in the Bible. For example, Hebrews chapter 11 there's a great list of uh, Old Testament saints <laughs> and those who had preceded Jesus and looked, preceded the coming of Jesus and looked forward to his coming and so on. And the critical thing there is that they were saved by faith. Uh, uh, the chapter begins, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so it's not their inherent greatness, but rather their faith that is recognized and how God blessed them and used them as people of faith. So we have those, those uh, lists, too. Um, I, I put on the outline here, uh, uh, Feast of St. Barnabas Apostle. We'll come back to that. Uh, I put on the uh, handout. Do all of you have a copy of that that you can see? I put some around. There's some more back by the coffee, I think, if you still need one. Um, uh, going back to the Augsburg Confession, by the way, two weeks from now, June 25th, when I'm preaching in, it's going to be the date of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. It's very significant, 1530. That's often overlooked by a lot of Lutherans, but in some sense, it's almost more important than the nailing of the 95 Theses to the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg. That's the, that gets the big celebration, but the 1530 event, when uh, a lot of laymen as well as pastors confessed the faith before the emperor and laid it out there in the Augsburg Confession and uh, unified uh, the church around this confession. It's, that's certainly equally important, if not more important, as a festival. I, I was back in Evansville for a lot of years, and we did some historical work on what had happened in Evansville. And going way back, especially before World War I, they used to have big celebrations of the presentation of the Augsburg Confession just about every year in June. And I mean, kids would act it out and do, they'd have little parades and all kinds of things, big festivities for the presentation of the Augsburg Confession. We've kind of lost that, I think, to a certain extent in the church today. But anyway, two weeks from now, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, June 25th is that, is that date. Anyway, Augsburg Confession. Uh, by the way, at that time, uh, one of the reasons for that particular meeting was that Charles V, the emperor, and you probably know this, was trying to really get all the disparate groups together, Catholics and Lutherans and Reformed and everybody together because he was an Islamophobe. <laughs> and he was very much worried about the Turks who were coming up and threatening Vienna and so on. And he was a little bit interested in doctrine, but mostly he was interested in getting everybody together so they could go fight the Turks, you know. And that, that was the big deal for him. And he was hoping that that there would be that coming together at the Diet of Augsburg. Anyway, Augsburg Confession, this is what the Lutherans presented. Luther wasn't there. He hid out in the castle at Coburg because he already by this time was an outlaw, could have been arrested or even killed had he shown up. So Melanchthon represented the reformers, and there were a bunch of laymen there, including princes, who really laid their necks on the line 
the newer Lutheran, Lutheran movie, not the very last one, but the one before that, really shows this real well. Uh, they really put themselves out for the sake of the, the Reformation and so on. Anyway, Augsburg Confession 21 just talks about the saints and how Lutherans view the saints concerning the cult of the saints. Uh, this is a translation of the German text. Concerning the cult of the saints, our people teach that the saints are to be remembered, which is a good thing, so that we may, and this is the first thing, so that we may strengthen our faith when, when we see how they experienced grace and how they were helped by faith. Moreover, it is taught that each person, well, let's stop there. Uh, it may strengthen our faith when we see how they experienced grace and how they were helped by faith. So this can help us as we look at biblical saints like Barnabas or as we look at saints down through history, and there are a number of those listed in our hymnal too, uh, Martin Luther or Johann Sebastian Bach or other people who have had significant uh, contributions to the life of the church by the grace of God. Uh, it's good for us to see how they live by faith, which in turn can strengthen our faith as they point us to Jesus above all. Um, that's important. To, the real people in various situations help us to get a vision of what that might look like to live by faith. And I think that's important. Uh, it, it helps us to get that vision. And uh, dealing with, uh, in counseling situations, premarital counseling over the last few years of my ministry especially, it frequently happened that one or the other, or sometimes both of the people who were getting married came from families where their home was broken, there was divorce, and sometimes beyond divorce there was just total chaos so that they had never very often had dinner together as a family, you know, and they had, they had never done the things that a lot of families take for granted. <clears throat> and one thing I noticed was <clears throat> that it was hard, it was not impossible, <clears throat> but it was hard for those folks to have a vision of what it might look like, you know, <laughs> to, to, to be married and to, <clears throat> to just have a stable family. And, <clears throat> excuse me, one of, the, one of the blessings of the saints, seeing how they live, is to just help us to get a vision for what it looks like to live by faith, to live the Christian life. Excuse me, <clears throat> I don't know if coffee will help or not, but I'll tell you. That'll probably help a Lutheran, surely. <clears throat> So that's the first thing. Then going on, uh, Melanchthon wrote, moreover it is taught that each person, according to his or her calling, our vocation, wherever God has placed us in life, should take the saints' good works as an example. Uh, Lutherans are not against good works, you know. I think they're a good thing, too. <laughs> they don't save us, but they're good. And as we see the good works that the saints did, again, impelled by the grace of God, those things can serve as an example. And then he gives an example. <clears throat> For instance, his imperial majesty, Charles V, and I think here Melanchthon, I mean, what he says is definitely true, but I think just a little bit Melanchthon's trying to curry favor or work the crowd a little bit here <laughs> as he talks about the imperial majesty. His imperial majesty in a salutary and righteous fashion may follow the example of David, great king in the Old Testament who had to wage war against all kinds of enemies all around him, 
And that can serve it as, as an example to the imperial majesty, Charles V, in waging war against the Muslims. And so that's not a bad thing. That's going to be a good thing <laughs> to wage that kind of defensive war under those kinds of circumstances. For both hold a royal office that demands defense and protection of their subjects. That's the number one thing, why God places leaders so they won't have just chaos in the world. However, it cannot be demonstrated from Scripture that a person should call upon the saints or seek help from them. For there is, so we don't pray to the saints. We don't ask them to intercede for us. For there is only one single reconciler and mediator set up between God and humanity, Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2. He is the only Savior, the only high priest, the mercy seat and intercessor before God. He alone has promised to hear our prayers. Notice how Christ-centered this is, even though it's talking about the saints. According to Scripture, in all our needs and concerns, it is the highest worship to seek and call upon this name, this same Jesus Christ, with our whole heart. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then uh, what happened at the, uh, at, the, at the time of the Augsburg Confession, the Lutherans actually, or many of them, still actually expected, we're going to be able to discuss this stuff. You know, We're going to be able to look at the Bible with our opponents and determine... Are we right? Are they right? You know, we're going to work through this and come to a common confession. <laughs> they were dreaming. Uh, <laughs> because <clears throat> Charles V and the, <clears throat> the, the Roman leaders <clears throat> just said, okay, here's the confutation. They put out the confutation a couple of months later, which supposedly refuted what the Augsburg Confession said. However, they read it to everybody, but they, they wouldn't even provide a copy of it to the Lutherans. So here it is. This is why you're wrong. You heard it. Now you've got till April the 15th of next year. That's the timeline they gave them, April the 15th, 1531. By that time, you have to recant and come over to the Roman confutation. Uh, I don't know if that's why April 15th is still our big day or not, but anyway... April the 15th, that's the deadline. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, interestingly enough, though, the Lutherans did have, they were slick enough to have a number of good stenographers who, when the confutation was read to the whole assembly, they took it down almost word for word. So they did have a copy of it. And Melanchthon then recognizes that, and he writes what's called the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. You're probably aware of that, one of the confessions in our Book of Concord, and uh, defending what was in the original confession, but the apology is much, much longer because he goes into detail on each particular subject, uh, refuting what the, the Roman church has said at that point about our confession. Uh, by, by the way, you probably know, but apology here is not apology in the modern sense, like we apologize or anything like that. From what I've noticed, Lutherans never apologize. You know, they, they didn't. They, they, they didn't do that. Anyway, uh, Melanchthon is writing a defense of of the doctrine, the pure doctrine that's there in the Augsburg Confession, and it's much longer on the invocation of the saints. I just printed out one paragraph, because he adds one thing here that is slightly different 
from what was in the original confession. The original confession said we can look at their faith and that can strengthen our faith, and we can see an example of their works in terms of our station. If we're fathers, we can look at some of the fathers in the Bible, for example, and what they did right and what they did wrong, and that could serve as an example for us. That could be a good thing. Uh, and, and so the faith and the example of good works. Here he adds a third one, our confession approves giving honor to the saints. This honor is threefold, and he's going to mention the other two that we already mentioned, but the first is thanksgiving, which he didn't explicitly say quite so clearly in the other confession. We ought to give thanks to God because he has given examples of his mercy, because he has shown that he wants to save humankind, and because he has given teachers and other gifts to the church. So one big response, as we look at the lives of the saints, should be gratitude. <laughs> Just gratitude for all that God has done in those who came before us, those who walked before us. We should be grateful. We should give thanks for all of that. Um, since retirement, I've had a little more time to think, which I didn't really have while I was in the ministry you know, very much. But, uh, <laughs> and, one of the things I've thought about was probably my lack of gratitude. Not that I wasn't grateful at all, but my lack of gratitude for those who have gone before us and defended and confessed the faith and preserved the faith and taught the faith and handed it on, you know. Um, those in my own family and, and those in the past who were listed in the hymnal and, you know, all the others, you know. And I thought, man, we should have six weeks of Thanksgiving for Martin Luther alone, you know, or, or eight weeks for Johann Sebastian Bach or something like that, you know, the fifth evangelist, you know, we should, uh, gratitude for the tremendous heritage that we have as, uh, as Christians and specifically also as Lutheran Christians. So he, uh, he really emphasizes that here. Since these are the greatest gifts, they ought to be extolled very highly and we ought to praise the saints. Notice, we're not praying to them, but praising the saints as we notice what God did in them and through them. We ought to praise the saints themselves for faithfully using these gifts just as Christ praises faithful managers um, in uh, one of his parables there. Um, so, again, we, uh, we praise, we can, we can offer proper praise to those who are still alive, and have been meaningful in our lives, and those who are already uh, with the Lord. Uh, we can praise them and praise the Lord for his gifts to the church. Um, let me just stop with the two quotes that are right after that in bold from the Bible. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, and I always, I don't always, but I think about that as we celebrate Holy Communion, angels and archangels and all the company of heaven were surrounded by all the witnesses in the church triumphant and by all the people who are with us in church and all the people worldwide who are celebrating. Uh, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us also, let, that's encouraging, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us because it's not a sprint, it's more of a, a marathon, you know, let us endure uh, to the very end as we, as we see uh, the, uh, their faith. Uh, 
And then uh, the other quote is also from Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, and there are two passages close together. In one uh, passage in Hebrews 13, uh, the writer says, obey your leaders. And uh, there he's talking about pastors and teachers who are to be obeyed as they preach the word of God. Not necessarily obeyed when they tell you what kind of carpet to have or something like that. You know, they may be wrong on that. But <laughs> where they preach the word of God, they, they deserve our obedience. But this one appears to be talking about those leaders who have already been called home. Those leaders, in this case, probably have been martyred, actually. Uh, literally died for the faith. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of, to you the word of God in the past. Consider the outcome of their way of life, uh, that they confessed Christ to the end and died a good death, so to speak, because they died trusting in him. Consider the outcome of their way of life. I thought about this as I heard something about, well, there's been a lot, of, I'm not an educator, but those of you who are in education have probably heard this outcome-based education, which has been a big deal now, and you try to figure out what outcome you're, you're looking for, and to be statistically measured, and, you know, all this kind of thing. Uh, uh, I, was trying to, I was thinking about if we had, you know, what, uh, what would be the outcome-based education for Lutheran education? Well, we would be preparing them for what? To be martyrs, right? <laughs> That'd be our outcome that we're looking for, <laughs> that they would witness for Christ to the very end, be faithful even unto death. Not martyrs like some of our Islamic martyrs and so on, who blow themselves up and so on, but martyrs in the sense of suffering for the sake of Christ. Uh, outcome of their way of life, and imitate their faith, kind of what Melanchthon was talking about in the Augsburg Confession. This is one of the passages that he no doubt used for that. Uh, imitate their faith. But notice how it goes then right on, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The focus is not so much on the leaders or those saints who have gone before us, but on Jesus, because we, we look through them, through their lives, through their faith, and we see what? Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus, no matter how the world changes, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So, um, it's a little after 11 already. Maybe we'll just stop there and kind of pick it up in a couple of weeks and uh, look at Barnabas uh, the apostle, and uh, even though it'll be two weeks past his fat feast, we can still look at that. Yeah, he's a good guy. Let's, uh, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for those uh, saints and martyrs who have gone before us, apostles and prophets, and all who have confessed the faith, and we pray that you would work in us by their example of faith, and that by your Holy Spirit at work through the word, you would build us up so that we too might give witness to our faith in Jesus Christ and in him crucified. In his name we pray. Amen.